This is Corolla Digital. Hi, I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And that's the truth. We really are. And you know what? I feel like the luckiest guy in the world still. I'm 100% Colonel Jeff and Dr. Chris came over here tonight just to record some messages to let you know that we're in a great place and we can't wait to start working again. Naturally, before recording this, we went out to have a giant meal of barbecued beef. And that's why we're so happy. But folks, I can't tell you, everything you send in means so much to us. The messages, the letters, everything, the cards, just thank you. And I know you're listening to shows that have been broadcast again, but we're just glad you like it and can't wait to get back to work. There are so many things to do, and I can't wait to tell you some of the stories about what's been happening. So take care of yourself, and I'll see you soon. This week on Allison Rosen is your new best friend, Bert Kreischer. I was driving over here. I was like, poor Allison has to fucking research me. I, I can't imagine Googling me. Well, you're actually a lot of stuff comes up for you, which is nice. I do have a lot. Yeah, my di- when, it, my, when I first got the job at the Travel Channel, the president sat me in her office. She was oh, where you host Trip Flip and yeah. give people the trip of a lifetime? <laughs> Look at that. Look who just did her job. Thank you, Wikipedia <laughs> and and Google. So when she sat me down in her office, she had just gotten a job, and she was like, "She was like, uh, I just want to let you know your digital footprint leaves something to be desired." <laughs> I was like, "What really? a weird way of saying something!" She's and a, yeah, she's the president of a network, so she was she was like, "That's like that's their jargon." Yeah, of, I googled you, and what came up was ass wax. Subscribe to Allison Rosen as your new best friend on iTunes, or go to AllisonRosen.com. Only from Corolla Digital. From Level 5 City in Glendale, it's This Week with Larry Miller. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who has ever lost luggage... Hi, folks. Welcome back to This Week with Larry Miller. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And as always, don't they sound good? That's the... No, wait! Stop the presses! Stop the presses again! Hold page one for a rewrite. We have another erratum. Colonel Jeff said before, this is errata cum erratum, errata, but I think it's technically errata cum erratum, which is the... uh, which I think, because there's a mistake from last week caused by the correction of the mistakes of the week before. At any rate, have we stopped the presses? Is everyone down in in the whole printing area taking their little newspaper hats off and saying, what happened? At any rate, we do have a mistake from last week. I was correcting, and I was saying how good the stuff was, the really good beef jerky, and the really good honey with lemon, and the really good that I got with the, when the family and I took the ride up to Mammoth, but I kept saying it was Gus's really good beef jerky and Gus's really good olives stuffed, stuffed with jalapenos and Gus's really good honey with lemon, but it's not, of course, and someone wrote into us, it's Ray's. It's Ray's. 
It's Ray's. I felt like E.T. there. Ray. Call Ray. Go home to Ray. It's Ray's really good stuff. And so... No, <laughs> Jeff, just in round. No, it is Gus. No, it's unbelievable. It's... Wait a minute. Ray was wrong. I just had it backwards again. Holy mackerel. Well, that... To me, I think of the charm and the joy of this show. If you like listening... To- to, to us do this and to me say it, then there's some charm and humor in saying, this imbecile did it again. <laughs> he had to put it in on the screen. No, it is Gus's. Ray was the run that was wrong. So this is, never mind errata erratum. This is, hey, stop being stupid. It is. I, I guess I have the word Ray in my head, the name Ray in my head, because so many pizza places in New York, I swear I don't know how they have the nerve to do this. And obviously, this is not opening up a whole New York versus Chicago pizza. I don't understand because food is great. Great food is great food. I never understood why one has to win over the other. I mean, I love food shows, but I never understood why, well, we're finally going to figure out who won here on this. I never I never got that. I, th- I think Bobby Flay must be a great guy. I'm, I, I'd, I'd love to eat, eat some of his food at, at one point or another, but I never understood why I, I know it makes a good show, actually. That's why I do understand that. You know, he's going to challenge someone. Hey, and you make a good hot dog and we'll make it too. But I never understood the whole thing with pizza. The point is, in New York City, if you don't know this, in New York City, there must be, what would you say, 30, 80, 150 pizza places named Ray's Pizza, original Ray's Pizza, famous Ray's Pizza, the one and only Ray's Pizza, for some reason... I'm sure one of the food shows has tracked this down at one point or another, but for some reason, somewhere, somewhere around 1970, somewhere like that, Ray, there was an there was an original Ray's, and it became so well known that the name became part of the advertising. It became something that people would come to see. So a lot of other people would say, "No, I'm I'm Spartacus." You know, they'd all stand up and say, "No, I'm Ray." And so there must be, there's got to be at least 50 or 100 or 200 Ray's pizzas in New York that are completely unrelated. At any rate, though, that's why the name was probably in my head. It is not Ray's. I said it was Ray's last week. It's Gus's really good beef jerky. It's Gus's really good olives stuffed stuffed with jalapenos. It's Gus's really good honey with lemon. It's Gus's really good 100 other products there. So you know what? If anybody knows Gus, tell him we're still talking about him. This is free advertising. As long as I keep making mistakes, he'll always be on the show. What a motto that would be. In any case, that was the other stop the presses. I made a mistake last week. I made a mistake trying to correct the mistake this week. But therein lies the charm of the show. So we've stopped the presses. We've made our correction. Our our erratum has been eroded, erased. And now we can finally thank the uh, the folks who play the terrific music as and as always that's the Paul W Bird Orchestra and the Laura Throp Dancers I think it's important to enunciate a name like that featuring boy tenor Brad Thompson asking the musical question how does James Bond know if it's shaken or stirred and I have to confess I picked that one for a reason Jeff found it and I thought it would be a good thing to pick. Because how does James Bond know if it's shaken or stirred, comma, Brad, question mark? Obviously asked by someone who is clearly a non-martini drinker. Of course he knows. It's obvious to anyone that whether it's shaken or stirred. And 
this is actually something worth bringing up because I've had a bunch of folks write in and say, how do you make your martinis, meaning me? And the martini is the one drink. If you know bars and bartenders and the whole, oh, the whole artfulness of the drink world and the whole artfulness of the shape of bars and this this bar looks like this, everyone has a certain kind of bar he'd like to open. So every man and woman I've ever run into say, well, if I had a bar someday, we could open a bar. Why, if we just did this, it's part of that. It's part of that uh, five levels of drinking I do. Hey guys, we if we did it, if if we all just we could all open our own bar and then we could live together forever. It's really something most people, or I would say all people who listen to this show, would like to do. And the thing about all drinks is even even a bourbon on the rocks tastes better when it's given to you in the right kind of bar by the right kind of bartender. I don't know why, even when, by the way, even when the colonel and Dr. Chris and I went out for that fried chicken at Dinah's, we thought it was the greatest fried chicken we'd ever had. Now, and we've decided since, because I took my kids back there three, four days later. This is before I was on my New Year's diet, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Because it's going really, really well, except that I've actually put on two pounds, which is probably owing to the fact that I've doubled my drinking and eat whatever I want any time of the day. So it actually hasn't – so other than that, the, the, the concept of the diet hasn't kicked in yet, but I've started today. This is the actual start of the official diet. I did start on January 2nd, but I <laughs> – I didn't stop drinking, and then after having a couple of drinks, oh, and it being around 10 o'clock at night, then I'd say, you know what? That piece of pie looks terrific, that last one left in the fridge. So at any rate, though, it, it, it matters. With drinks, it really does matter. It's very, very difficult for me to make a good drink at home. And by the way, when a bad bartender in a bad bar... And when I say bad, I mean just someone who is not focused on the performance of it. Someone who doesn't really understand that when you meet an eye, there is a whole – a good bartender is in a way like a good entertainer, like a good performer, even like a good comic. Not that he's funny, but he's actually using the force of his will to make the experience better. It's his ship. And if he's good, if he or she is really good – and I don't mean flippant or entertaining. I mean just really right on it just on the thing and creating a good atmosphere, the drink is better. But here's the thing. In martini land, all, so all drinks are better with a good bartender and, uh, and a good bar. Manny, that guy at Musso and Frank, it's worth saying again, did something that was so magical, really. And that's the right word to use. It is a magic because he's been there so long. And he did it so well. And it had such an economy of movement. It's sort of like if you remember from the days when Johnny Carson was on The Tonight Show, he would come out there and he would have his stuff. And it really looked as if he was just chatting. It really looked as if, well, he's just talking. How pleasant it is just to listen to this man talk. But that's a result of all the craft, all the years, all the muscle memory, all all the opportunity, all the talent put in to make everything just sound wonderful. It was wonderful just to be there. It's sort of the same thing with a baseball player. You know, when a ba- baseball player goes up and hits the ball, 
you always think to yourself, well, looks like I could do that too. Well, he just hit the ball. It looks so natural. So the point is a real bartender and a good bartender, and Manny was the one who made those martinis or that Manhattan that Jeff had, that dry Manhattan. But here's the way, because it makes a huge difference. I have watched good bartenders. I'm sure you have too. I have watched that bartender as he makes a martini for me. And there are a couple of guys I know who are terrific. And I will be going back to Manny's at some point in the year, right after my New Year's diet. But I will be, I have watched bartenders and it's so good and I can't see how they do it. And the drink is wonderful. Similarly, I have watched bartenders where it's not that good and it looks like they're doing the same thing the good bartender does and I still have no idea how they do it. All that said, though, to start with Brad's question, first of all, it is not as if my palate is so sensitive because it isn't. It's not as if, speaking of James Bond, we could say, well, it's from the northern end of the vineyard, this wine. But it's not that at all. I don't have a particularly sensitive palate. But when it comes to shaken and stirred, you can more or less always tell for a few reasons. A shaken martini may be a touch colder, just a touch, but it also has, it it always has little bits of ice floating in there, even the tiny, tiny ones. And by the way, it's also cloudier. So visually, you can always tell the difference. And by the way, speaking of good and bad bartenders, I think I, I, I told you when I took one of my kids to that uh, wonderful a baseball clinic in Nebraska over the summer, and we had a chance to go to the... I mean, this was Omaha, and we went to a steakhouse, and it was expensive, but we thought it was, you know, it was really, really good. But here's the thing. I got a martini. Now, this is the biggest, you know, or like one of the really well-known steakhouses in a city that's really well-known for beef, and it's we dressed up for it. We had ties and shirts and jackets on. So I ordered a martini before it, and you know, this one came... So shaken. This is no kidding, folks. Maybe I talked about this the last time. I began to spoon out the ice and put it on the bread plate, and it, no kidding, had a little mountain there. Not small. It was about two inches high. So I, in fact, even the waiter came back and saw it and said, well, was that from the martini? I said, well, yeah. He said, you know what? Let me, let me make that again. And I'm a big boy. I didn't say to him, you know, excuse me, could I please get one that's not bad? But, you know, it is a special night. You're out there you're with your kid. He just went to a baseball clinic, and it's a big steakhouse. It was, you know, and it's an expensive place. So he came back. It's so funny. This guy, for some reason, this is one of those moments you want to ask, is it your first night at work? Have you been here 11 years? Really, is there no sense of the art of putting the martini together that even if you shake it up, you can't make the presentation a little better? That's in its way all other drinks aside, even fancy drinks, even drinks that have four or five different ingredients, there is always something about a martini. The first thing is shaken, not stirred. There is something about the stir. And I got this from a bartender named Mike in Vancouver when I was shooting something last June. It was that movie, by the way, Deck the Halls, that was on in December on TNT with Kathy Najimy and Jane Alexander. And we stayed there. It was great. We stayed in this hotel it was like three weeks, four weeks. And it's a really nice, it's where every actor and director stays. It's a really nice place. It's not the fanciest place in the world. It's just really right up the middle. It's just a good place. And they had a great bar. And this bartender, Mike, showed me something because the conventional wisdom is James Bond always says 
shaken, not stirred. And I think the reason was bruises the gin if you stir it, even though he drinks vodka. I know, I know, I know, easy out there. But here's the thing. This bartender, Mike, showed me something. I ordered a martini one night, just the first night there. I had more after that, but I brought my book down to the bar after a day on the set there, which was great. And he started stirring this up, and it was so loud as he stirred the gin in the silver shaker. He stirred it with one of those long spoons, and he stirred it for about 20 seconds. But so loud, I heard it. Down the bone, I said, you always do that? He said, yeah, you know, uh, you know, always mix it up that way. And I began to do that at home, and I began to develop the philosophy for me. This is just for me, because everyone, everyone does this differently. I began to think, yeah, that might bruise the gin. No, show it who's boss. Let it know what's what. It's not going to win. You're going to win. Beat it up. Beat it up good. Not by shaking it, which I, I don't like the consistency, I don't like the ice in it, but beat it up good with that spoon. Really make it rattle. And I always put a ton of ice in for that reason. I, I want to hear it rattle. I want to see that gin move around on it. And by the way, and I always add, I always add vermouth. It's just an instinct thing. I put, I, sometimes I do this in my one-man show, by the way. I actually mention, I make a drink on stage and say, I know I'm going to break a lot of hearts with this, but if you don't add the vermouth, it's not a martini, okay? If you want cold gin, ask for it. God bless you. Good luck. I'm glad you want cold gin. Have some cold gin. Say, may I please have cold gin? But if you want a martini, and it's especially a traditional American martini, you have to add vermouth for a variety of reasons. And by the way, in the 20s, the era most people think of as, uh, well, pretty good for speakeasies and bars, as underground places, and the, and, and the most, well, you know, the Algonquin Roundtable and all those folks like Benchley and Walcott and Dorothy Parker were always drinking martinis at 21. And the proportion... Most I don't think most folks know this, but the proportion then of gin to vermouth was three to two. Now, that goes to show you how wild. I mean, that's a ton of vermouth. People today ask for dry martinis, and they expect zero vermouth. I think there's, there's a middle ground. By the way, before I tell you this, I will say that I do this in my one-man show. It's a very short verse from the great... Ogden Nash, a great English poet in the uh, in the 19, in the twentieth century, called "There Is Something About a Martini," and it goes like this: There is something about a martini, a tingle remarkably pleasant, a yellow, a mellow martini. I wish that I had one at present. There is something about a martini, ere the dining and dancing begin. And to tell you the truth, it is not the vermouth. I think that perhaps it's the gin. Now, isn't that great? That's the kind of wordsmithing I always love. And the reason I bring it up, though, is from that era, once again, in the 20s, all over the world, in Europe and in America, especially England and America, if you got a martini, it was a yellow, a mellow martini. It was yellow because there was a lot of vermouth in it. So what I do is, here's what I always do at home now, and I am very happy with these. When I turn my leg lamp on... And I do every time I have one. And I put a napkin down on that Art Deco table I saved from the rat room. And when I sit down with one of my Elmore Leonard books or whatever I'm reading at the time, and I'm going to have that martini, here's the way I do it. I take my silver shaker, 
and I put in a lot of ice. I mean, more than you'd think. And uh, then I take two shots filled to the brim of gin. In my case, it's Beefeater. Someone wrote in asking, what kind of gin? Please tell me it's Beefeater. It is. It's Beefeater. Beefeater seems like a classic gin. It's a right-up-the-middle martini gin. It's Beefeater is a big triple to the power alley. It's, it's, it's a solid line drive triple in the power alley. That's how strong Beefeater is. It's great. I don't mean strong in alcohol content. I mean a strong, good, solid martini move gin. And by the way, the others are great. Fine. It's Bombay's fine. You know, Tangri's fine. It's all, it's all dandy. But my dad, God bless him, drank Beefeater martinis. And I guess that's part of it for me. But it just seems like such a solid thing. And it's not even that expensive, by the way. On sale, you can always get the half gallons, which aren't half gallons anymore. We've been through that before. Don't make me mad. I'm having too much fun. The half gallons are, you can still get for 24 bucks around here, 23 bucks sometimes. So that's a pretty good deal. And that's real beef feeder. So I pour in two shots of beef feeder and then a third of one shot of Martini and Rossi vermouth. There may be a better vermouth out there, but that's dry vermouth, of course. And a third of a shot meaning varies. It's a very small amount, but it's far more than most people the last 10, 15 years have been putting their martinis. Now, I put that in there, and as that's sitting there, first of all, I get one of those long spoons that my wife got, by the way. That's one of those things my wife, my love, God bless her, is one of those things she got that is never, ever used in the house. She got eight long spoons that were for ice cream sodas because she thought at one point we can make ice cream sodas, which never, ever happened. But guess what they're perfect for? Ha-ha! So at any rate, I know where they are, and I always take one out, and I use that to stir that martini, and I dig it up, and I beat it up, and I beat it, right, I beat it round the fleet. If you know that phrase, beaten round the fleet. Boy, that wasn't a good thing, actually. That's not a jaunty thing. That was a punishment in, uh, in the English Navy, and it ended around, well, I think around 1805. It was where when you did something really, really bad, not like, not salute an officer or something. That really wasn't that bad. No, when, they, when you did something really, really bad, to be beaten around the fleet meant that they'd take you to where the, the fleet, meaning whatever 10 or 20 ships were in the harbor there, and, well, they'd flog you, you know, and... Uh, I can't, I, you know, that that must, it must be wild. Even one, never mind the fleet, even on one. So they'd give you like 20 lashes on one, which is crazy. Even that would, you know, that would cripple you for a month, I would think. But then they'd take you down and take you to the next ship and do the same thing. So that they could show everybody, whoa, don't be like this guy. This guy did a really bad thing. What did he do? He didn't eat all his peas. Whatever it was, you know, very strict in those days. And then they the same thing, the next ship and the next ship. And well, I don't I don't think anybody survived that. I think you were you were dead after four or five ships, and they would still take you put you up and do it and take you down. And uh I know, I know. And today we have a picture, you know. Peeing on the peeing on the guys in uh, Afghanistan is is going to be a big thing, but boy, they it's not like beating around the fleet. So at any rate, I I beat back to the jaunty happy story. So I so I I really beat that gin up and I stir it aggressively with that spoon and I get those rocks going and really spinning. 
and uh, for about 20 seconds or 30 seconds, and then I let it sit as I take the glass out of the freezer and put one of Ray's really good... No, Gus's! What's wrong with me? I did it again. One of Gus's really, really good olives stuffed with jalapenos. I still have another 340 in that bottle. But anyway, <laughs> and then I put that in the glass, and then I stir it again. The same thing, another 20, 30 seconds, stir it again. Another tw- uh, another bunch of times, and then, then, I let, just let it swirl it with my hand, and then put the top part on it that just has the little grating in the, on the top there, and then pour that out into the glass. And I am here to tell you, that is pretty good. That's as good as I've ever been able to do at home without the magic of a great bartender in a great bar. And then I met Manny... And as Colonel Jeff, Manny from Musso and Frank, and as Colonel Jeff pointed out, he does a little wrist flick. It's not even beating it up so much as it's the same volume. Again, it's like seeing a pro athlete do something where it doesn't even look like his wrist is turning that much. And then you say, wow, look at that ball. That ball just curved a mile. Well, it's the same sort of thing. Manny used just his wrist. He didn't do that really aggressive turn with the spoon that I did. And he had very little ice in it comparatively, it was very little. It's as if, using the wrist, he got every little cube all at once without missing one. He was so good, and it was so casual. He was so practiced at it. And that, now I've incorporated in a little little wrist, a little wrist flick, seeing if I can get that sound as loud. But that's that's how I do it. That's how you do it. And, well, not how, not how you should do it, but some people have written in, but nice enough to say, how do you do it? That's how I do it right now. And so thanks for writing in, Brad, as always. You know, But uh, thanks to everyone writing in. But that one, we love people sending some very, very funny things that become the musical question from the boy tenor. But I knew as soon as I saw that one, Jeff said, how about this? I said, aha, I've been meaning to talk about martinis because enough people have written in to ask about it. And by Amazon. That's right, Amazon.com. But you don't go to Amazon.com, do you, if you want to go to Amazon? You don't, do you? Why? Why? I'll tell you why. You come to us. You go to LarryMillerPodcast.com. Yeah. yeah. I know you're pointing at me and nodding now, but I had to think about it because you didn't put it on a screen. It's like one of my kids, by the way. It's the same thing. They're just as dumb as I am. Well, of course they are. They're my kids. If I don't actually show the thing, you can see the... The deer in the headlights look in the eyes trying to remember something. But it is. It's uh, You go to our show, which is LarryMillerPodcast.com. And uh, there is a banner on there that says Amazon. And then you click Amazon. And as you know on Amazon, as we're fond of saying, you can get everything in the world you could ever want, anything your little heart desires, except, of course, an actual Amazon. And if you do wind up with one of those, remember, we want you to call us immediately for assistance. So Amazon is always always good to us, and we want to be good to them. And now it's time for the joke of the week. I love doing this, the joke of the week. This is one that was in my head. It's another one of those for oh, a long time. This is from, this has got to be, this one sounds to me and feels to me like it's about 40 or 50 years old. And... Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's about that. It just has that feeling of somewhere around 1960. So here's here's the story. Uh, 
young man is single and he's in his 30s. He's 30, 35 years old. And he has uh, terrible headaches, really bad headaches. Not mine, not migraine headaches, even worse than that. And it's more or less constant. They're getting stronger his whole life. And if you know, if you've ever had a bad headache and people have migraine, it, it's a terrible, terrible thing. But with this guy, it was really taking over his life. And he kept seeing doctors and they couldn't do anything about it. And it was really through as a teenager and then through his 20s. And now he's in his 30s. And he, he, he hated it. And he, it really, really was ruining his life. And he went to one doctor finally who said, you know, I can guarantee I have something that will take away the headaches immediately. He said, what? Tell me what? I'll, I'll, I'll do anything. And the doctor says to him, well, I have to castrate you. And if I do that, I will uh, – well, it's a complete castration. And uh, But then at least the headaches will stop. And the, and, and the guy says, I, I can't do that. I don't want to be castrated. I, I – no. I, I, I won't. And he goes home, but another month goes by with these headaches, and they're getting worse every day. And he goes back to the doctor finally and says, yes, I have to do this. We must do it. Let's do it today. He goes through the operation. The doctor castrates him, and he recovers. He's in the hospital for a week, and he gets out, and he says to himself, all right, and, and by the way, the headaches are gone. For the first time in his entire life, he can breathe the air again. And he doesn't even, he doesn't even want to think about this horrible thing that he's had to do because of it. But he says, you know what? That's all right. It's all right. I'll be okay. I'm still going to live a good life, and at least I don't have these horrifying headaches. Yeah, and he decides, I'm going to treat myself right. He takes out all his money. He's not married. He, he has nothing to do in life, and he decides, I'm going to take out all my money, and he, he's going to go on an around-the-world cruise, and he does that. He goes on an around-the-world cruise, and then he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go, something I always wanted to do, go on a, a, a hunting and fishing expedition. Yes, I'll do that, and he goes and he goes to Africa, and he goes to northern Canada, and he does everything like this, and he says, I'm going to, I'm going to get myself an apartment. One of the greatest apartments ever. And in fact, a martini said, I'm going to do all of these things. And then it hits him. Aha! I'm going to get a great wardrobe. I'm going to get bespoke suits, handmade suits. I'm going to go to the center of that Savile Row in London. I'm going to find the greatest tailor in London. And I'm going to get an entirely new wardrobe. And he goes to this one guy. And uh, sure enough, it's an old Jewish man. And why wouldn't it be? Because it's Savile Row in London. <laughs> And also, it's a joke. So he goes in, and this guy is known for, he's, he's been a tailor for years, decades, decades, 50, 60, 70 years, and he, is known, he knows every measurement. He looks at him, the assistant brings him in the back, and they stand up, they shake hands, and he tells him what he wants. He says, I know what you want. And he says, okay, let me look at you. He says, and the, the young man says, aren't you going to measure him? He says, measure. I don't have to measure. I'm going to look at right now. I'll tell you everything. Uh, let's see. Uh, for shoes, look, you look like a... Uh, uh, ten and a half uh, e. He's like, yes, that's it. Ten and a half e. Well, that's exactly. Well, of course, that's right. And he's a ten and a half. E. He said, "Look, I'm going to look at the hat size. I would say uh, seven and a quarter. Seven and a quarter. You're exactly right. Yes, hat size. And of course, in the suit, it looks like uh, yeah, it's, it's a forty-four regular. Not long. Really a tall man. Not not long. A regular. Yes, forty-four regular. Exactly. And the shirt and sixteen and a half and the thirty-three. It go, goes down to every measurement. Just looks at him, and he just knows it. And he gets then and under the side. He knows everything, and he's going to make it all by hand. And then he says, uh, "He says, right now uh, for underwear, I think uh, thirty-six. And again, the guy goes, "Ah, first, first mistake you made, thirty-four. I've always been a thirty-four. And he says, no, I'm telling you, Mister, you're thirty-six. No, you're telling me this is my life. I wear thirty-four. I have always worn a thirty-four, Mister. I'm telling you, I look at you. You're thirty-six. No, I want thirty-four. Because oh, fine, I'll give you thirty-four. But remember, you'll get headaches." <laughs> uh.
That's a pretty good joke. And it's also one of those, by the way, that's fun in the telling. So when you take this around to your friends, it is. It's fun in the telling. So that was the joke of the week, which, of course, now brings us into... That's right, a hamper update. We have... And this one's hot. Sometimes they're in, a, they're in the ones that aren't just good. But, oh, this one's hot. It just happened because I was away for four days. I was on the road, and I came back, and I've given up. I've given up just before coming here. I decided to empty my laundry from the road, and I opened it up, and I always separate the whites from the colors, and I've given up. I've t- sometimes taken the time to separate, obviously, my wife and there's some of the kids' clothes in there as well, and no one separates them. And I, I looked at it, and I actually said, I can't. I can't. Too, the day is too busy. I, I don't even have another minute and 22 seconds to do this, and I've realized I think that's okay. I've decided some things are worth holding on to and fighting for, like the hamper itself. But some things, like the separation, well... I've given up, and that's okay because, as the colonel pointed out, it's like that uh, their motto in Alcoholics Anonymous, which is, uh, I think this is it, the uh, give me the grace to change the things I can change and to recognize the things I can't change and the wisdom to know the difference or something about that. In our cases out there, you and I, of course, we can follow that up with a giant drink, but... Which is different from the motto. However, uh, I have uh, I have given up, and I and I'm okay with that, and and I've hit another cycle that's that I think is good for another update, which is that's right, effect update, effect update, and as you know, this is no longer called the five effect update because I had an eight factor that was perfect, but I knew all along the way. Do you remember, a lot of you steady listeners from when the show started, do you remember, it was a year ago, I, I, I could do no wrong. I was as great at putting soap together as I've ever been in my life, but I, I got too bold. I was too fooled. I was filled with vanity. And I went to two, then to three, then to five, when we got to the five factor. But then it broke. And once it broke, I found my will had broken with it. And I couldn't even put two together anymore. It was like the Tower of Babel, if you remember. I said it then, that where I was trying to be too much and I was too filled with vanity and I couldn't even put two together again and I was reduced just to showering with single pieces of soap and let the chips fall where they may. And then I came back. I came back. I said, wait, I can do this. It's sort of like a batter in a slump. And I said, wait, will the batters just say, never mind the hitches and the knees and the picking the leg up. I'll just meet the ball. Let me just meet the ball again. And I took two pieces of soap and I put them together and I remembered, yes, I can do this. Yes, I can. I am fully capable of this. In fact, I was good at it. In fact, I was great at it. And I came back with two pieces and then I came back with three and then I would put four on, and then I would use the soaps that are given to me so generously by all the hotels on the road. Well, given, stolen, whatever you want to say. And I'd taken all those soaps and I from my drawer, and I would add then the third, then the fourth, and I would artfully put them together and take pictures and send them to you and be so proud because I was so good at it again, and I was great at it again. Never mind five. I had six. And then as of two weeks ago, if you remember, it was an eight factor. It was a great 
factor. It was the factor. It was an it factor. And it was perfect. It was, and I used them aggressively. They had even fallen on the floor. And that was fine. And it didn't break. These are the rules, as you know. You have to use it aggressively. It has to be a real bar of soap that you use everywhere. And I was thrilled. And I was, but I thought in my heart, am I heading for another fall? Am I becoming too vain again? Am I building another Tower of Babel? And the answer is, yes, I was. And I came back from this road trip, but before I left, I remembered. I didn't even want to look at it because I had put two together and then three and then four using the old eight factor. And before I left on this trip, it fell apart. I picked it up to use and it fell apart. And I didn't even think about it. I said, that's nothing. That's nothing that can happen to anyone. And I got it all wet again in the heat of the shower and I pressed them back together again. But today, today, this morning, before coming here, I took it again and I started to shower again and it fell apart again. It fell apart right in the middle. And so I am back to being desolate. I have no will. I have no future in the soap world. I am not the great fecta maker I thought I was. But you know what, folks? This is fine because everything in life is a cycle, isn't it? It's actually, it's fun to make fun of. It's fun to tease about. But actually, that's why everything is a cycle. So you know what? We'll all go through cycles in our lives. And if one of the ones, the silly ones we tease about, if I have to go through the walk of faith again now on soap and actually bring, bring it back from the beginning and start from the beginning, I will because I was so... Well, not heartbroken. I was soap broken. That's right, soap broken. And when it broke today again, I thought, I, I can't, I can't do it. Now I'm not going to separate the colors anymore in the laundry, and now I can't, and I, I can't make another factor. But I will. I'm going to use this soap. I didn't even put them together again, the pieces that had broken. I'll use them separately. And that's all right. One of these days, in a week or a month, or a year. Actually, it won't be a year. That would be stupid, wouldn't it? Because it's not, you know, it's not working with plutonium, is it? You know, it's just soap after all. So you know what, though? In another, I would say, month or two, I'll smile and I'll look at two pieces again and say, fellas, you look lonely. Would you like to meet someone who's just like you? And then I'll put them, if they speak to me, say, yes, we would. Then I'll, I'll put them together again with the confidence. And that's the key. The confidence is the glue. The soap is not the glue. The steam is not the glue. It is the confidence like making a great martini. It is the confidence and the skill and the knowledge and the craft of a great bartender or a great fector maker. And, and I will do it again. And there is a... There is a long story I want to tell you about this, this trip I was on, but there's not going to be enough time today, so I'm going to tell you the first part. The trip I went on started in the Los Angeles airport on a morning flight. It was going to be a 10.30 flight in the morning. That's right, last Wednesday. And I got to the airport and... Everything was fine. I took the kids to school. I got there in plenty of traffic. I made them the perfect breakfast. You know, the only one, the one only I can make, the one that no one in the house in the house makes because whenever I'm gone, they have brownies and cocoa puffs for breakfast. And then I get back and they have fabulous breakfasts and that the sandwiches I make for lunch 
But I think every father thinks this way, that, you know, only I can do this well. If if we actually decided to hire, if we had a, suddenly won a billion-dollar lottery and my wife said, let's hire someone who only makes sandwiches for the kids for lunch, for school, I would still say, no, sir, you won't, because only I can make them well. Only I make them right. At any rate, though, so uh, in this case, it was a great day. Everything got up, you know, packed and fine, and I'm on the way to the airport, and I get to the airport in plenty of time, park in the same lot I always park in, and that's all good. And then I got to the airport. I always walk right to the gate. I check my bags. I had the, uh, the, my little computer bag with me, and then I passed. I, was gonna, I hadn't eaten breakfast yet, and it was about – I had to well, – that's right. I was going to board at 10.30. And it was now 10, and I thought, well, I can go to McDonald's. I always get an Egg McMuffin. And by the way, those are great when you want one, as you know. It's a solid thing. It's not you want to eat Egg McMuffins three times a day for a year and a half. That wouldn't do any good for the New Year's Eve diet. At any rate, I decided then also, you know what? I just had the thought in my head. You know what? I've got the newspaper. I've got a new book I just started. Good Elmore Leonard book, by the way, and I finished it already. And you know what I thought? There's a bar there. It's one of those open-in-the-airport bars that is, there are no walls around it. And I just said, I got it in my head, maybe an Irish coffee would do. Maybe a cup of black coffee with a big, hefty shot of Jameson's in it. And maybe that'll be good. And uh, then who knows? In fact, if you know anything about Irish coffee, you know, you think to yourself, who knows? Maybe two shots. And I sat down between two guys. One guy, it's funny, we looked like the three... <laughs> The three levels of mankind diet. The guy on the right, there was a seat in the middle. The guy on the right looked very fit. The guy on the left was about 50 pounds heavier than me. So I sat in the middle. So it looks like the three levels of, of what kind of shape you can be in. And I noticed the guy on the left was drinking a Bloody Mary. And he had that travel look. He had that traveling salesman or executive or insurance guy look. And he was pleasant. He was talking to a friend of his on his left side. And I just glanced on the right side and noticed the guy, the fit guy, on the uh, right side, I noticed had two shot glasses that were empty in front of him, and he had a cup of coffee too. And that's when I said, how do you like that? That looks like some Irish coffee. I didn't say that to him, but I uh, sat down and ordered, and I was taking my book out, and I uh, just glanced at him, a little nod, nod and a smile to my left, nod and a smile to my right. And uh, the uh, I ordered the Irish coffee with the Jamesons, and the guy on my right, the fit guy, says to me, good for you, that's the way to do it. Yeah, that's the way to start. He says, uh, I was out uh, back home here for a few days, and I I was out last night. And you know what? We had so much to drink. And I know he's a young man, by the way. He's like 23 years old, 24. And so he says, we were out so late, we did this. I was actually still lit up when I got up today, and I was at my friend's place, and I stepped over at him, and then we got in. We even had a drink late, and I only had a couple hours sleep. And I just said to him, I smiled and said, you know what? Believe me, I know what you're talking about. It's a young man's game. I, you know, that, that kind of drinking, that's really great. And, you know, so we, uh, we had a little, we clinked our uh, coffee glasses and I poured the shot in. And turns out I needed two, by the way. I was right. I knew I, knew I was right all along. For the kind of Irish coffee you really want, and this is not, no whipped cream on top, nothing in it. You just, a cup of black coffee, one of those diner cups of black coffee. And frankly, you want two shots of Jameson's in it. So I got the uh, second one, we clinked glasses. So it turns out, though, he... He's a Marine, and he's going back to Afghanistan, and he had that look, by the way, that you sometimes see. There are old Marine posters where you see that that look of a Marine where it's not just – it's kind of a, a toughness. It's, so, it's sort of a – you know, uh, 
It's indulgent. It, it's like, oh, it, it's a very cool look. It's a very in-charge look. It's a very solid look. It turns out the guy was a little older. He's, so he's almost 30 now. And he's, he's, he's going back. He wasn't in uniform. Otherwise, I, obviously, I would have known that. But it turns out that, uh, so we just started talking about uh, this and that. And there was some personal stuff. You know, what I think about this, and I hope he said that. And he said he visited a friend and what I do. These things I've told you about before, going to, say, uh, Bethesda Naval Hospital in, in Washington and, and Walter Reed, the old Walter Reed and the new Walter Reed. And just, uh, it was a good conversation, just a 15-minute conversation. And it turns out, you know, I had to leave, and I just said to the bartender, and he started to reach into his pocket, and I said, please don't. I said, let me, family, let me, let me, buy, uh, let me buy this guy uh, whatever he's had here. And, uh, and you know how today most of us will say, most of us will say, oh, no, don't. Oh, don't do that. When someone offers to buy you a drink, you say, oh, don't do that. You know what? Given what we were just talking about, it was something personal. And he, looked, he looked up at me and said, thanks. And I said, uh, You've got a deal. And I said, why not? And reminded, and it reminded me of a great moment in a great movie, The Wild Bunch, where they've gone through all this. It's about the last 10 minutes of the movie. And if you know that movie, it's wonderful, by the way. It's a Peck and Paul movie with William Holden and Ernest Borgnine. So many great people. Wow. And uh, in this case, it, and the great Ben Johnson. And in this case, it was Warren Oates. They've just their comrade... Angel has been captured by the guys and is being beaten up and tortured, but they got the gold and they did this, and they just don't feel right. The uh, the general gave them, they're, they're deep in the heart of Mexico in about 1900, and the general gave them women and liquor and everything and little, little cabins to be in. They all get up in the morning, they all walk out, and William Holden says, uh, come on, let's go. let's go get Angel, meaning they know they're going to go on this against 500 guys. And they're not going to survive. But he says that to them. And the great Warren Oates, it's a great movie moment. Great Warren Oates uh, thinks this over and just says, why not? And I always thought that was a great why not moment. And uh, so you know what? For you and me, there are thousands of much smaller why not moments. And this was one of them. You say to yourself, I think I might get myself a Jameson's and coffee instead of an Ed McMuffin. And then I remember in my head, I thought, why not? I feel like it. I'm a big boy. I'm going on a trip. I'm not working till the following night. Why not? And then I sat between these two guys and started chatting. Another thing. Why not chat? Why not? And then it turns out this guy's a Marine and he's going back to Afghanistan and we were drinking the same things anyway. And I thought, maybe I should buy him a drink. And I had the same thought. Why not? So you know what? It was a good start to today. I He pounded down. It wasn't his first one. And I knocked down that one. It was plenty. Have a, Why wouldn't it be plenty, you know? And I bought a sandwich to take on the plane, but it was plenty to have a cup, a big cup of black coffee and two shots of Jameson's in it. And you know what? I thought, same thing. I thought I'd tell you. Should I tell them? And same thought. Why not? So, folks, Cocktails with Larry Miller, February 3rd in Stowe, Vermont, at the Spruce Peak Performing Arts Center, February 4th, in Corona, New York, that's in Queens, at the Queens Theater, and there are two shows that day. One is a matinee, that's a Saturday, and one Saturday night. And on February 11th, Cocktails with Larry Miller, the same thing, in Lincoln, Nebraska, at the Leeds Center. That's spelled L-I-E-D, but it's pronounced L-E-E-D. Remember, where the extra E is for value. (laughs) 
<laughs> at any rate, our show's website is LarryMillerPodcast.com. And you know what, by the way? Do tell a friend. Our numbers are really doing great. We're very pleased. It's very gratifying, and we're very grateful. So you know what, though? Part of the Mart- Million Martini March, tell a friend, and let's keep this going so that we can, we've more than doubled our numbers in 2011 by December. So you know what? Let's go for that again. Let's more than double our numbers again. It's, it's very gratifying. We're very happy here, up and down the whole line. So tell a friend, and my website, by the way, so it's LarryMillerPodcast.com. Well, the Facebook page is Facebook.com, as I'm reading now, <laughs> slash Larry Miller Podcast. My website is LarryMillerHumor.com. Follow me on Twitter at Larry J. Miller. And it's Jeff just wrote down, stirred, not shaken. That's right. But as usual, as always, on uh, any one of those, all roads lead to Rome, which is just as it should be because, as you know, Homer is Homer, and Pluto is a planet. So, folks, be well, and as next time, as always, remember... If you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that is still the truest thing I know. When you get home, stir yourself something good. Be well, and we'll see you next time here, only on Ace Broadcasting. Okay. (laughs) Never mind. All right, here we go. (laughs)